When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to At The Hive Live, part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts. I am Chase. James is here with me, and we are both extremely excited to discuss the Charlotte Hornets playing an NBA basketball game for the first time since May. The first segment of the show is going to be the two of us discussing Monday night's Hornets and Thunder preseason matchup in OKC. And for the rest of the show, we will be joined by Matt Issa, an NBA writer and podcaster who is currently releasing a series called The Quest for the Best, which can be found on any pop uh, platform that you get your podcast, featuring over 70 interviews with former players, coaches, executives, and many popular media fingers. We're very excited to talk with Matt later in the show. But first, James, we have a basketball game to discuss. The Hornets played a basketball game. You have the floor. A- Go. A- actual basketball, none of this, no summer league. Um, you know, no trying to project and predict what's going to happen. We actually got to see it with our eyes. And um, hey, look, I mean, 113-97 victory. You're playing, let's just say, not the stiffest competition. Um, and, but by the way, just before we get into the Hornets, shout out Josh Giddy. <laughs> he played really well. For like yeah. a guy who's never played an NBA minute before, just came in as a rookie and was like their best player. He, he even outplayed like Shea like last night. So Shout out to Josh Giddy, but this is not a Thunder podcast. Um, yeah, it was really good to watch. I mean, we've got lots of bits and interesting bits to touch on. The Stars actually played more than I thought last night. And I think we should probably start there with the list of starters. Mars Bridges, listed starting at power forward. Um, I think most people in the Hornets community, would, if you had to guess, you'd have put your money there. Um, but it is the first time that Miles Bridges has started while PJ Washington's been healthy. So will it be that way all of preseason? I think Borrego might mix and match a little bit and maybe another preseason game. We might try it out a different way. I'm not sure, but um, what, what were your thoughts on Miles starting? And, and then how do you think he took advantage of the opportunity? Yeah. I mean, I kind of assumed that he would as well. I thought, I like. I remember your tw- you tweeted either before the game or right as it started that you wouldn't be surprised if PJ gets one at some point in the preseason as well. I wouldn't be either just because Borrego will probably want to test the lineups out. I thought he was really good though. He sh- showed a lot of the same self creation ability that he showed 
in his when he took that big leap at the end of last year. I mean, he doesn't seem to have missed a beat, and none none of them really do. And I know they said a lot, like in media availability, that they're going to be ahead of where they were at this point last year, just because they have like more actual practices, and they obviously got to go to Miami and work out with each other about a month ago. But they're like ahead of where we expected them to be even after like they said that they would be ahead of where they expected to be, which is, which was yeah. very surprising. Like, like not just miles, but he, he especially was one of the best players last night. I thought, but like, did anybody have a, like a bad game that you thought I didn't, well, like, I didn't really think anybody did. I, I agree. I didn't think anyone did, but I disagree that I think it was surprising because I think we're at the stage now year three of Borrego there's some institutional knowledge. I know there was a lot of technically like roster turnover this off season, but if you look at like rotation players, that there really wasn't that many like Cody Zeller and Devontae Graham, essentially like your, your top of your top eight, 10 guys, the only guys missing. And you're bringing back a lot, a lot of your starters there. So I, I think we're beginning to see what Borrego talks about now. Like the team, like, you can break down all you want with little video clips. It was the same style that we played last year. It was the same defense. It was the same offense. Like there was nothing you're like, oh my God, this is, you know, this new view on how we're doing things. It, it's not. It's just building what's already here. And I think that's a good thing. Like I know it's boring to analyze it that way and be like, things are kind of the same, but it's just the reality. And that's actually really makes it a lot easier for the players because they're not learning a new scheme every time. They're not trying to learn something. And I think, we saw that a little bit last night. I thought everyone looked really comfortable in their role, um, which, look, I mean, the majority of the preseasons, we normally get like a serious injury, whether it's MKG or a Nick Batum or something like that. So, like, I know Kelly Oubre seems like he's listening Yeah, we came pretty close, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty close. That was nasty. When I, I have to say, what was Mike Muscala, like, doing in, like, game one of a preseason game, like, going up and challenging that in midair? I, I, I understand you're a competitor, but, like, Come on, man. It's preseason. Like, just let the guy get the dunk. You don't need to risk injuring someone like that in the air. And he wasn't, it wasn't unsportsmanlike. He was going for the ball, but just like, come on, do you really need to take that risk? Yeah, no, it was if he if Kelly Oubre was going up for like a soft layup and like wasn't going up strong, it would have been different. But Kelly Oubre, he doesn't go up weak like that. Like every time he goes up, he's trying to jam the ball through the rim. So would have been, yeah, it would have been nice to let him have Kelly let that one slide. But he landed like right on his back when he fell. It looked like it hurt very badly he was like grimacing when he got up definitely good that he you know came out of the game and didn't go back in I wouldn't I don't think it's like a serious injury I think it was like a leg or leg contusion or something like yeah, that. yeah I think That's it was his left knee his, his toe almost got like caught under him as he hit the floor yeah um, I mean it looked like if you told me he was seriously injured I would have been like fair because his knee like really bent a lot but um he seemed to spring back up and I think they'll just be cautious with him but like I think Lamelo is a place to start. Just looked mm-hmm. incredible. He was. Oh uh, I my mean, god! In, in twenty-one so minutes, like he was just absolutely killing it. Um, it. His shot wasn't falling from the outside that much, but he did hit the one-three. But definitely looked more comfortable. And I think he had two like turnovers in the first couple of possessions. But after that, he actually looked after the ball pretty well. Um, and I thought he looked active and engaged defensively. Um, He's still got the mid-range floater. That's never going to mm-hmm. go anywhere. But uh, Lamelo, this was not a one-season, you know, flash in the pan. He he's here, and you've heard the players say all through preseason they're not worried about Melo. Like there's there's things you need to focus on on this roster. Uh, like you need to worry about. You spend take, spend your time thinking about Lamelo being good. I don't think it's one of them. The question is just how good. 
Yeah. So how far he can take them is, is a, a very, is what going to be like the, the question that the Hornets fans are wondering for the next few years, hopefully he looked incredible. Like his floater looks so good. That one that he threw up from like a couple steps in from the three point line. Yeah. And he, before that he was, he set a screen, I think for Gordon Hayward and came up off of it or curling around. I, they, like you said, a few minutes ago, they have ran that play for him many times before. Like I remember seeing that play last year. It doesn't always end in the same, you know, 20 foot floater that he threw up and just you knew that was going in as soon as he put it up too. Yeah. the touch that he has is absolutely incredible yeah I agree we saw that play last year we saw Gordon Hayward getting post-ups we saw those exact same plays last year as well um there was a lot of things you know what also we saw that was there from last year the inability to guard anyone on the perimeter that was also there yeah like in the, mm-hmm. especially I think they got actually a lot better halfway through the second quarter but in the first quarter, like Shea just like went past everyone and the entire defense would collapse and OKC were just getting wide open shots. And but then they're not any good. So, you know, they didn't shoot particularly well from three, 32 percent OKC. But I think that was a part of why this game <laughs> might have won so well, too, is because their team is like all everybody's like 22 and under and they might yeah. just be very bad this year. But Absolutely. Still, they're they're but, a um, team. I, I still like there was a lot of talk about the increased physicality on the defensive end. Um, like everyone's really been getting after it. That's kind of been like the overwhelming, like what can we expect to be different from a team point of view this year? It's been the defense. See, it sounds like it's taken a step forward. Um, I I saw that in stretches in the game. You know, there was, they got really active hands, forced a lot of turnovers, which I think was really good. But in terms of like the rebounding, in terms of like guarding guys in the perimeter, giving up the corner threes, I still felt there were some some issues there. But I, I do feel like I've stopped guys getting to the rim as much at, at times later in the game. But early on, it was the same problems. And if you're having those problems, like you say, against the you know OKC and the 22 squad, what's going to happen when you're playing against you know some some real NBA players with with experience and skill? So. Um, I, de- I still think that's going to be a challenge. I've not seen anything that makes me think we've really turned a corner of the defense yet, but it's just game one. Um, and they did get better in the game. So, so that's a positive thing. All right. I think we got to talk about James Booknight now. 20 points preseason debut. Not bad. The three steals were nice too. I mean, I, I, th- I think one of them was kind of just a recovery of uh, somebody else's defensive play. But I mean, like, I mean, like you said, they were just generally better defensively than they were I mean, definitely at this point last year and book night, he's not going to struggle to score right nope. at the, at the rim, especially like that's not like, this is not going to be a problem. Not, not even on the scale of like for a rookie, but ju- just for any NBA player, like he might just be a good finisher already. Like <laughs> it's, I'm going to put you on a spot chase. Is James book night better than Malik Monk right now? No, no, I don't think so. I, I think Malik is still a really good player. I think like I but like I he probably has a higher ceiling than Malik. That I think that's I mean especially because Malik is older now. I think that at, even at the if you put them both at the same age, I think Booknight's ceiling is probably a little higher. I don't know. I think there's a chance. I think Malik is probably a better defender than Booknight. He's definitely I, a better I, passer than. Booknight. I disagree. I thought Booknight last night on defense was really good. Like, and he's a man. Malik's a better shooter from from three at I, least. I think the sh- yeah shooting. I will concede. You know, Booknight. He hit the one one of the three threes. I mean, the other two he took were from like deep deep three. Yeah. Early in the shot clock, which is weird. 
if they didn't feel like they were in the flow of the rest of the offense, like it kind of felt like he wanted to get a three up and just took one. And Kelly Oubre had a few of those as well, where you, you kind early, of, yeah, early. Just, you, you watched it and you, your head just went, huh, that didn't seem to be the same kind of offense that we had the rest of the game. Um, but he did, he did hit that one late, I think in the fourth quarter, but very quick know, release he, on that shot too, which is encouraging. That one yeah, that he made. I, I thought defensively, I mean, he was looking really good. Like he, at one point he um, bodied up like Diakite, who's like a big mm-hmm. center who was like trying to post him up and he just bodied him up and like went vertical at the rim. And there was a couple of times he did that. Like you said, he had those three steals, um, got in and rebounded a little bit. I, I, I think he played really well defensively and just like getting to the rim and finishing with craft. And he even had like a Lamello type floater, which I was like, has, has he been like practicing with Mello after practice on those little floaters already? Um, so yeah, I, I thought he was super impressive. And I think already, like one of the questions I asked is what's the backup wing rotation going to look like at training camp and between like book Knight's performance out of game one and the comments from Borrego after the game about Jalen McDaniels mm-hmm. and then talking about how he's like got to be inside the rotation and how he's, you know, more comfortable with himself, uh, and, and how the size and the defense he gives, I, I think essentially you can kind of McDaniel's probably going to play some power forward with PJ Washington. It seems like now, um, I think that's the way it feels like it's going to go with Ubre and Buck Knight as the wings. Um, and I mean, Jalen can play small forward as well if if Ubre is out for a week or two or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, Jalen McDaniel's it, like he he got shots up. That's for sure. Like he took a lot of threes and he was annoyed at himself for missing some of them. He went one for six, but overall like really active 12 points seven rebounds two assists two steals one block i mean he, he was he was active and playing like he belonged in the nba which at times like he's felt a little bit timid out there and i just thought he looked a whole new level of just comfortable yes absolutely and especially with the ball in his hands he i i think he's gonna force borrego to implement like a 10-man rotation this year because i remember last year as the season kind of carried on, he's like, oh, I want to cut. I mentioned how he wanted to cut the rotation to like eight or nine guys with how much they will want and probably should rest guys like Hayward and even like Plumlee and Ish Smith and even maybe Terry at a certain point. Like I see no reason not to play 10 guys pretty much every night because book night and McDaniels were like the two guys that are like kind of on the fringe. I feel like of being out of like the permanent rotation and they both, played really well and book night as book night played well in summer league McDaniels played well to end the last year when he was like a really regular rotation member. Like these guys have just been building on the momentum that they've been creating for themselves. I like, why not put, why not play them? Like, I don't, you don't need to give all your starters like 35 minutes a game every single night. Like LaMelo can play, you know, as much as they need him to, as long as he's healthy, but like there's, you don't need to push Gordon Hayward or Terry or Mason Plumley or even like Miles and PJ all the time. Like if, because if Jalen McDaniels is like a legitimate NBA rotation member, like that's like, you got nine or 10 guys that can play on any team in the league. And if you remember the Spurs teams that Borrego came from the, the early kind of 2010s, like they, they played a lot of guys. The Spurs yes. weren't like a Thibodeau. They, yeah, you know? they created like like resting players. And it's like, it's a good thing. Like guys, yeah. superstar guys, your best players shouldn't be playing 82 games. Now, the, the situation they were in is they could afford to rest players, right? Because they That's were true. sleeping their way into 50 wins anyway. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's a lot harder to do that if you're fighting for that eighth seed or, or whatever it's going to be for this season. But like, like you say, I do think that there could be, especially early in the year, like starting out with that, 
10 man rotation. I, I think there could be some flex there while they're still trying to figure out what's going on. And like, if they start losing some games and some guys aren't playing well, then great. You shorten the rotation. But until that point, if people keep flashing, like, like you said, no one had a particularly bad game. Um, so it, yeah, I, I think it's, it's worth having that extra man in the rotation. All right. Anything else for the preseason game? Number one. Last last guy I want to talk about, the other new addition, Mason Plumley. Okay. Um, didn't take a shot, but in 50 minutes, seven rebounds, four assists. What were your thoughts on how they used Mason? Because he's probably like has the most different skill set just in terms of his ability to like pass than Zeller and Bayumbo. So did you see anything that kind of stood out to you on how they were using Plumley? See, I thought I feel like it's kind of how I thought that they they would be using him. I do I do yep. feel like that he should be implemented not necessarily as like a roller, but just somebody that's kind of waiting around in the dunker spot when other like maybe like PJ or Miles are in a pick and roll with a guard because he's a very very good finisher at the rim. I was looking at his cleaning the glass stats. He's in the like 70, 80, 90th percentile pretty much every year of his career. Like hey, he's an incredibly efficient finisher around the rim. He doesn't have like the same vertical ability as Cody does but he's clearly like much like burlier and stronger and can hold his ground a little better against bigger guys down there and I think that's going to help quite a bit for the Hornets guards because that was that was one of their issues last season they didn't have anybody that could really finish inside and now they have kind of a release valve and I think he'll I think he'll I mean I'm not not that he's going to get no shots every game but I I think he, he might be involved a little bit more as the the preseason goes on, but yeah, I mean, I thought they, they kind of used him how I expected him to. He is a, he is a good passer. Like that's going to be a very useful skill because he can, he can yeah. pl- make plays with his back to the basket at the elbows and on the block and stuff. He's, he's, he's a good ball handler. And that's, I think the biggest difference I saw was that Plumlee would grab a defensive rebound and yeah. then push it. Yeah. Whereas Zeller and Bembo would be looking up to, to pass it off to someone else, a miles or a mellow or Terry and that they wouldn't go. But but Plumlee can do that. And that just, again, it helps you play faster because every time you pass it to someone after you rebound it is big, that second when you pass it to Terry, who's next to you, that lets the defense get back like one or two steps. And they were playing fast last night, lots of early passes in transition. And I think Plumlee had one really nice one and he had one or two where he turned the ball over. And like, if he does one good pass to two bad ones, then it's just going to be a problem because you're going to be more turnover prone. I don't think he will do that. He's too smart of a player. He's, he, know, he knows how to pass too well that I think he's going to be able to really kind of grab the rebound and go and get the ball out in transition, which we saw a number of times like guys leaking out and, and getting up the floor. And I think that's something that we saw in flashes last year, but we'll continue to see this year. But um, I, I, feel like, I think that's everything on game one. It was a positive start. It's always good to start with a, with a win. It'll be interesting to see how they get on in the next couple of games. I think... The last thing maybe we need to touch on before we, we move on to our guests is just to, to talk about the Fantasy Basketball League that we plugged on our last show. And I think we said for people to, to give us a five-star rating and message us, and we're going to set up a, an At The Hive Live bespoke Fantasy Basketball League. And we've had a couple of guys get in touch, haven't we? Do you want to give them a shout-out for the people who've got in touch so far? We have. So Andy Neal has given us a five-star review. He is a part of the Fantasy League. Steve Smith sent James a DM on Twitter. He is now part of the fantasy league. James, who was the third uh, third person that DM'd you on Twitter? I forgot to ask you that before the show. That's it. We only got, we only got, okay, we only two, got people, two so far. Two people. We got two so far. So it's a good start. There's four of us. 
we're looking for like what, like a 12 person league, something like that. So we want to get more. If we do get more, we can obviously look into split, splitting, like having two leagues, or whatever. But um, if you listen to the last episode and you felt, oh God, I'm, I meant to do that. Like, no worries. Just give us that five-star review. Send us a DM with a screenshot. We'll send you the code for the league. We'll get that set up. And I think our plan is to like have a little bit of a Zoom during the draft, have a little bit of like a social, have a bit of a Hornets catch up while we do the draft as well. So it'll be a good social thing. And um, yeah, so make sure you get in touch. We want to we want to run this fancy list year. We're looking at maybe trying to get, I'm trying to get some, maybe some some gifts for, for a winner, maybe Hornets related or some Hornets related merch. So that's something that we're trying to sort out for people. So make sure you get, come get involved. Yes, everybody loves gifts. We all know that. Christmas season's coming up. Win your fantasy oh, league. Sorry, one last tease. No, go ahead. One last tease. Um, ahead of our next podcast, we have in the works to have a, a Hornets rookie to coming on the podcast. It's in the works. It's not confirmed yet, but we're working on it. Um, so potentially in your podcast feed, the next week or two, you will have an at the have live episode with a rookie from this year's Charlotte Hornets. Very exciting. Very exciting. Stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for the second half of this episode with Matt Issa. We will be back just after this ad break. See you guys in a moment. Welcome back to At The Hive Live. We are here with our guest, Matt Issa. He is an NBA writer and podcaster. He does podcasts for the Hoops Head podcast, and he is currently releasing a series called The Quest for the Best, a six-part series that is breaking down and analyzing the top 10 players in the NBA history. Matt, how are you doing today? First of all, tell the listeners where they can find you, how you're doing, how you got to this point with writing and podcasting. Yeah, I'm doing good. Um... How's how are you guys doing? Um, but uh yeah, so um I'm based in Detroit, Michigan, just outside of Detroit, Michigan, about 20 miles from Detroit. Um, as you said, my name is Matt. It's spelled with one T. Um, it's kind of unique. How did I get into writing? I used to uh I used to write like my buddy had like a website for his podcasts and like they had like bloggers, so I started blogging a little bit. And then you know, things happened in my life, and I decided, you know, like I didn't like the trajectory of events my career path was going on. And you know, so I'm like, I wanted I want to do something that I, you know, I ascertain is like more meaningful with my time. And like, you know, to guys like us who who watch basketball obsessively, you know, basketball's like to us a very meaningful thing. So I'm like, how can I do this for the rest of my life? And so, like, I started writing little blogs, you know, it's hard. You guys know this. It's hard to get traction on your work, no matter how much time you put into it. And I figure, you know, like, a lot of people, they like to, you know, they build up their career. Like, for example, um, Jake Fisher, who just wrote that book, um, Built to Lose. Like, you know, obviously, he's been, uh, yeah, no, it's a great book. I have it right here in my bookshelf. Um, I'm not going to show it out because this is an oral podcast and no one can see it, so it doesn't <laughs> matter. But, um, yeah, so, like, you know, he started at, uh, I forget, he started at, like, SI, and then he moved to Bleacher Report, and then he he got his book uh, publishing little deal and he published a book, you know? So like, usually that's the normal trajectory, but I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to try and do this the opposite way. And maybe that'll lead to a little bit more success. So I, like I made my big project, which was, you know, the quest for the best um, six part podcast series. And, you know, I um, decided to just kind of go undercover incognito, whatever, for like eight months off the grid, do as much research as I can. And now, you know, it's coming out and I've, 
I've resurfaced back in the public sector to to communicate with human beings again. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, man, we're super happy to have you back on the uh, the fifth episode of Quest for the Best released the day that we're recording this on Tuesday. So for any, you can get that anywhere that you get your podcasts for any of our listeners that want to go check that out. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So I've got quite a few questions that I want to ask Matt, but you mentioned you're from the Detroit area. So you're a Pistons fan. Give, uh, the Pistons haven't played a preseason game yet. So have you been watching what's been going on so far Has you, with a lot, lots of jealousy and contempt for the teams that have been, have been able to watch their, their players get back out there? Oh, man, this is not going to sit well because, like, I mean, the people who listen to, like, Charlotte Hornets podcasts are probably basketball junkies. But I personally don't watch preseason basketball. Um, that part of that is because I am, like, um, well, part of it last night was because I was watching the Monday night football game. Um, you know, so I do, you know, I enjoy football, NFL, um, but I'm really bad about watching like preseason and summer league and even college basketball. I'll probably get into it a little bit more this year because like um, I'm kind of rooting for like some of the coaches now that did the interviews with me. So I feel like the need to root for them. But um, no, like, I don't know. I'm so like strictly NBA. And that's the thing with being like more historically based like so like you know we all watch current basketball that's why we watch the game we love it so much right we watch what's going on day to day but like you know with your free time you know you might watch more preseason more um exhibition all that stuff that's the same thing preseason exhibition those are synonyms but um (laughs) i you know i spend more time kind of in different parts of history you know i might be in the 80s one day 70s one day so that's kind of where more of my basketball free time goes i guess I'm curious, which uh, which coaches did you speak to for the series, and and who do you feel that you should be you pulling for this year in, in college basketball? Uh, by far, um, my favorite, the one I kind of bonded with the most was uh, Coach Fran McCaffrey over at Iowa. Um, we'll talk more about this probably when you guys ask one of the questions. I'm sure you guys will ask, like, who's the most interesting person you interviewed? And I w- I would say it was him because, like, you know, he's he's obviously all the coaches are smart. Um, immensely smart, not just smart, immensely smart. But I think a lot of them struggle kind of translating that like dialogue to like regular people like us. But like he was kind of like, I don't want to say Tony Romo esque because you know Tony Romo is a really charismatic guy, and I mean Coach was really charismatic himself. But like he was like kind of Tony Romo esque in a way, in the way he was able to articulate the most like like sophisticated concepts of basketball to me in such like a simple manner and. I mean, we had like a really good conversation and most of it, to be honest, wasn't about like historical stuff, just more about, you know, um, he just taught me a lot of different things that I'll probably carry with me for the rest of my um, basketball writing days. But um, I him, um, a bunch of coaches, a couple of Duke assistant coaches like Coach Carowell. Uh, who else? Um, Did you talk to anybody that was like Pistons adjacent for this? Uh, uh, you guys know John Mason, though, the, like the, the guy. Have you guys ever seen on Twitter? The, like the Pistons old school like announcer who go like uh the Antonio the dong, McDice thing yeah with Ben yeah, Wallace yeah. like the dong the guy who did the, he yeah, does the yeah, radio yeah. and I was like yeah I talked to him. he was actually the very first person I interviewed um he's a really cool guy um Pistons adjacent oh James Edwards over at the Athletic oh okay yeah uh, yeah no he's a great guy he's a Spartan too so he um his old journalism teacher actually she helped me get into contact with him. I'm trying to think Pistons adjacent. I had a couple like Kim English. She played for the Pistons. Um, I was Mike, a, I was a big Kim English guy yeah. in the draft. I remember yeah. I remember that one. He, did he use Mizzou? Was he Mizzou? Yep, yep, yep. yep. He's a you see. He's a I got really it. Cool it's guy. in there. It's in there he's somewhere. A really cool guy. Uh, he's a really cool guy. And he was awesome. He was kind of like I kind of felt bad because he's like honestly, man, 
like I appreciate you reaching out, man. Because like I don't know if I'm qualified to do this. I got like 50, 50 NBA games under my belt, and I'm like, you know, man, you're. I mean, he's dude. He's a he has a great basketball mind. He's not even. Is he 35? He's not even 35. He years can't old. be. Yeah, he can't be. Yeah, he's old. a head coach now, a Division One head coach. So like, he's moving up the ranks really quickly. I, you know, it's George Mason, but still, like, he, I could see him being like a Power Five head coach within the next five years. Like, he's been moving up the ranks pretty quick. Um, coach Mike Woodson, who was like famously an assistant coach on the 2004 Pistons team, but you know there was there was a couple guys. The Pistons, you know, when you're obviously you you um you have guys that do their like one year stint that might have played with the Pistons a little bit, yeah, and you know played against them, of course. But yeah, no, I talked to a couple Piston adjacent people. All right, honestly, we might I might just roll us into the quest for the best section now. We can talk about the. Uh... Do the reality check section for us Hornets fans after because I want to talk more about Fran McCaffrey. Was he like the most interesting person that you interviewed throughout the process? Uh, Tim, okay, to a guy like me, yeah, because okay. it's like I don't know, because like I guess like I say like layman, like obviously I know I know more, you know more about the game than like actual like you know the casuals. I, I hate to use that word, but you know you know they are they they yeah, are right. what they are. They're casuals, but um. So like to me, like this guy's just like a holy grail of information. He was just he was so cool. I mean, you know, it's cool to me because he's he's Garza's head coach. You know, he's Luka Garza's head coach. And he's just like he's just a man. He's just a regular guy. And he's a great coach. Um, you know, he, the Big Ten, of course, is he was they were a really good school um this year. And I think they're supposed to have another good team this year, to be honest. Um, uh, but he was yeah, he was awesome. But there's a couple others like Bob Ryan, obviously, you know, he's uh he's kind of like a library of information on his own. I think he's, you want to talk about like leading experts in NBA history. He's probably the leading authority on basketball history. Um, Dean Oliver, the assistant coach of the wizards, author of the book on um, basketball, the game on paper. He's kind of like the bill James of basketball. He was, he was incredibly interesting. There was quite a few of them to be honest. And they're all interesting in their own way. Like coach Carowell from Duke. Like he was, he's got like a great voice. The way he says things is just like, I don't know, so euphoric. Uh, everybody was interesting in their own way. I don't think there's anybody who was like, damn, when's this going to be over, you know? Uh, right. Yeah, I, you guys will um, – I'm I'm thinking about uh, releasing some of the interviews, like full-length interviews at the end of the series. So you guys will definitely get to check out a little bit more of that and kind of see what I'm talking about with that. Yeah, that's definitely – I'm super excited for it to if you put out any of these full-length interviews uh, after the podcast comes out. How many emails – did you have to send to get all of these interviews set up though? I mean, it's gotta be in like, because I know Gmail has a, a total gigabytes in the bottom left corner. Mm-hmm. I feel like nobody's ever filled it up, but you've got to be pretty close to filling up that inbox by now. Yeah. Well, I'm a I'm more of an outlook guy, to be honest. Okay. Okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so you have to think about it like this. Like, you know, like I said, when I started this project, I've got like, 12 articles under my belt you know that's my whole basketball career in media i don't even know like some of the unwritten rules of journalism you know like it, it, i very um you'll see this when you see the interviews very unorthodox style of discussion with people but um there was days like literal days you know i would i would spend just sending emails out so if i had to guess i mean i'm like 1200 1500 emails you know like it's it's hard to get people to want to talk because first of all like it could be spam. It could be, um, you know, people just don't look at their email. And then sometimes they'll look like, what the fuck's this guy? And there's sometimes people who would answer 
And then, you know, I tell them like more about the project. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm not qualified to do this. Like uh, Howard Beck over at SI, like, you know, we talked a little bit and he's just like, you know, I like, I, I'm not qualified to do this or like a Marin fader. Um, you know, the one who just wrote uh, the Giannis book, uh, she, she said like, you know, it's like part of her contractual obligation, I guess, where she, she couldn't do um, premieres on series like that or something like that. So there's always little, little different things like that, but yeah, long, like long answer to a pretty simple question. A lot. <laughs> No, man, I, I definitely, you, that's going to take a lot of communication to put together all the work that you've had so far. I'm not going to spoil the rankings at all because our listeners are going to have to find that out if they or listen to the podcast if they want to find that out. But the three honorable mentions that you had to leave off, KG, Steph Curry, and Wilt, which one was the most difficult? Because I remember I was l- listening to the Wilt section. It seemed like people you talked to might have or were slightly disappointed that he wasn't a a member of the uh the top 10 yeah i mean well fran fran himself was like kind of like you know when we talked he's like you know he was singing wolves praise he's from philly so okay he yeah he he grew up <laughs> like you know going and watching him play and like everyone who's watched him play you know says the same thing like i you're not in terms of domination like just being more physically dominant than everyone else it's going to be hard to find somebody who is like that much of like a physical like genetic anomaly compared to his peers and like i truly think like as an athlete like he was not like where athletes today are but like right there you know what i mean so he was here's the funny thing so he's technically the guy that was the hardest for me because of like public opinion of him but to be honest with you guys like if if i did rank those three like from best to worst i hate to say this but he was probably the worst between like steph garnett like he would be lowest. He'd be thirteenth on my list, to be honest with you guys. Yeah, I would probably agree with that, James. What about you? Yeah, so I, because I came to this the sport of like basketball, I, I didn't grow up with it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't grow up hearing my dad talking about like how great X player was. My like I wouldn't even pretend to know my knowledge of like anything before essentially the late nineties, two thousands, just isn't there. So. It's really kind of, I would be, it would be disingenuous of me to offer you a ranking here and take a stance because I have no idea, essentially. Like, and I I think the other thing is the way the rules and the game and how treatment of injuries and everything has just come on so much. That last one always what I always wrestle with when you're trying to compare errors. I mean, even trying to compare something like KG to, I don't know, Anthony Davis now, like you look at they're only what maybe 10 years apart in their careers but the the league they're playing in has changed so much it's just so hard to make that comparison um so yeah i i can't give you a take here I, i'm i'll defer to your better judgment um i've heard will is set all sorts of records of rebounding and points and and things like that but at the same time like who is he playing against you know if you dropped him through a time machine in today's game is he as good as he was probably Definitely not because, but then also if you gave him the, the coaching that you got today, the development, the recovery, everything, would he actually have been even better than he was? So you, there's always like two sides to these things, which it just blows my mind. So that's why I'm so impressed, Matt, that you've actually managed to like go through and, and kind of do this and get so many different sources to speak to. Yeah. um, I want to say, uh, honestly, James, like that probably makes you more qualified because you don't come with like the bias. Cause I'm sure like me and Chase, we kind of, you know, our parents were, you know, I was, my dad was, he's the reason I got, I talk about this in the later episodes. He's the reason like 
I became interested in historical basketball because like, you know, he came to America. He's an immigrant. He came to America in the early 80s. Of course, that's like magic bird time. And the way he would talk about magic, the way he would talk about Jordan, like it's very hard to shake those like preconceived notions. Like especially even like for myself, the series, I really had to check myself a couple times. Like, am I, is this like my dad talking right now? Is this me talking, you know? And so I think like somebody like you who like is coming into the game, you know, from a different country, like where basketball is not like, a generational sport like your grandfather might have watched or something like that you know i think you probably would would be the most like objective observer you know yeah it's a, it's a great point and like if thinking of like football or soccer in, in my world um like I, I would have those same challenges like you know flipping back I, I do have those you know the cultural influence around you that that definitely has an effect so yeah i i can get that i just uh between the Hornets and the draft, I just haven't got time to go back and be watching these things. Like I, uh, I struggle as it is. So, but um, yeah, props to you for go ahead and doing it. So, Matt, I've been uh, since I started listening to it. The one, the biggest question on my mind was like, how much or how much different is it to prepare and kind of plan for a creative narrative based podcast that like tells the story of research you've done and having to like edit interviews together instead of, you know, like what, like what James and I do just go on and kind of like recap something or like a game that just happened or interview somebody like we're doing right now. How, like how much different is that from what you would imagine it would be kind of just like the average sports podcast, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it has pros and cons because like, you know, the pro side is like, I'm sure you guys both come out of podcasts like every day, no matter how much experience you have, like, wishing you said just a little bit more, a little bit less on a certain topic with that. I can kind of play with it and like fine tune. Like I get to say exactly what I meant to say for the most part. Um, difference wise is like, it is like, you know, I, I liken it more to like an audio book, but I just like, I call it audiobook from a guy who couldn't get a publishing contract. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's just, it's me telling yeah, a story. Not yet. You know, yeah. So, I mean, I, I wrote out like every chapter, like as a book, you know, I have, I think it's like if uh, if I like converted it into a novel, it'd be like a hundred plus pages long of like dialogue. And, you know, so there's that the challenge in delivery, it's hard to make it seem more natural and not like you're reading off of a transcript. And that's something I, I definitely struggled with maybe a little bit more in the earlier episodes than later on. But um, so that process is different. So it's basically like you are writing a book, but you're you also have to do the part of dialogue, like talking oral, worry about your inflection um editing you know adding in interviews adding in like the the dumb movie reference clips that i put in there or whatever yeah right right yes yeah, so that, that i've always had to think about something like that because I, I don't think i would ever have the like creative capacity to put something together like that definitely props to you for being able to do that but we're gonna yeah, give you have, like oh yeah no, like, go i'm ahead. sorry i just no. have like it's i don't even i don't even think it's called creative i just have like the, the wildest imagination so i just in terms of like random, like little sidebar things, I just put in the weirdest stuff. I'm a strange guy, but um, I also am fortunate. Like I had a great, my roommate who actually I share a bathroom with, we make that joke all the time when I mention him, but he was, he's my editor and he's, you know, incredibly talented. He's, uh, he's on, on track to getting his master's and PhD. He's a very, very intelligent guy and he helped me out big time. So I, I'm grateful to him for that. How many other people helped you? Was it just you and him? Yeah, it was him. Um, I had like a producer. Uh, who's also my um, the CEO of the of the Rise Network, which I'm now 
a part of um who else um my the guy who made the trailer i don't know have you guys seen the trailer for the series um they, I, I, I listened to the intro the, i listened to it i don't know if i oh no there's like a visual trailer too oh, okay. have it. i have another one coming out on monday for the final episode um is, you know about mj and lebron um okay here we you go kind of guess that those yeah. guys are going to be the, the topic <laughs> of discussion but yeah so i had the guy who made the trailers and then um i had somebody produce the music um and i had uh margo i don't know if you guys know smart water on twitter oh yeah she, she created my logo uh, she's awesome one of, one of my like seven biggest fans and best friends on twitter we we need to get a logo chase i was, I was thinking about this over the off season but i just didn't pick my finger up to do it but um yeah, we need to we need to get ourselves a logo. I like I like your logo. It's 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 nice to have something like a little bit custom. But yeah, I, I really like what you've done. Aren't you guys using the SP Nation logo? Yeah, well we just we just pie off that really. But you know, mm. it'd be nice to have a little you know something some live written on it somewhere. You know, make it a little bit our own. Yeah, I like the SP Nation logos. I don't. Know, I'm like actually like in love with a lot of their logos. Like the uh, I'm trying to think which one's my favorite. Uh I do. Um, maybe the little. I like the Detroit one. Bad Boys one. The bad yeah. one. The bad ones one's really nice. It's good. The, the Fear the Sword logo is really cool too. That is really cast. nice. Yeah. 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 I mean, we'll, we'll, yeah. That we should actually. We'll we'll have to contact Smartwater about that perhaps about getting us a uh, for one for the website for when they post the podcast. But speaking of the the website, the Hornets, we're gonna have you give us a reality check here, Matt. James and I, we just talked about the preseason game and everything went really well. So we might be a little bit too high right now. We need an outsider to either temper our expectations or perhaps stoke the flames of, uh, of our uh, anticipation for this season. So to start the, the conversation, where, where, where do you think that they'll finish in the, in the range of the East? So you don't have to do like a, like a record or an exact standing, yeah. but the general okay, whereabouts. So- so I admittedly have not had the chance yet to listen to your episode, like your most recent episode. Talk- you guys posted an episode about your expectations yet? We talked about the media day and training camp, but we, I don't think we have, we haven't gone to it. We probably should. We haven't gone into like a full fledged, uh, like we, preseason we, predictions yet. Yeah. We've been, we've been waiting for some preseason games. We wanted to get, we wanted to get our eyes on some of the guys before we dived into mm. our, our predictions and we're going to do some kind of season prop bets as well which we like for the year but um yeah we've just been we've just been biding our time okay can you guys like without giving away too much like give me an idea what you guys think because I, I want to know if i'm like if i'm with you here or i'm ripping your hearts out because you guys said you're optimistic uh I, I, no so we're pretty we're pretty um we're pretty truthful hornets fans like especially you know like i said before like i've been going through this for 15 years now I am expecting my heart to get ripped out every single season. And if it doesn't, that's just like a surprising good bonus. So, I mean, for me, I think they're probably in, in that seven to 10 range, essentially, like play, essentially playoff tournament, either at the bottom of it or at the top of it, something around that. Yeah, that's basically where I'm at too. I don't, I, I feel like they're like a, yeah, just play it, play in team. I would be very surprised if they're, Either either way, like a playoff team or in the lottery, I think both of those results would be unexpected for me. So, what about you? Where where are you at right now? Okay, like so, I like to think of it like you know, like everything goes right, everything goes wrong. Um, you know, everything goes wrong. I feel like they're they're probably getting a a high lottery 
pick and um, going to be doing a lot of scouting for the draft. But um, I think, honestly, if everything goes right, like plan is probably the best outcome. Like I don't see them getting one of the six spots in the Easter conference. Um, I mean, obviously there's like, if you go down like team by team, I mean, you know, net, the Nets, the Bucks are going to be there. The Hawks will be there. The Heat. So that's four right there. I mean, I think that Embiid is enough of a floor raiser to get them one of the six spots, even if Simmons doesn't end up playing. Um, and I, I'm honestly like maybe a little too high on the Chicago Bulls. I think that they, they might capture, they actually think they will capture one of the six spots. I really, I'm a huge Zach Levine guy. I think he's one of the 15 best players in the world right now. But um, that has nothing to do with the Hornets. Um, <laughs> but so, I mean, I think that like low end plans, because I mean, I, I love Carlisle too. I think that he will really be a big part of this Pacers team. So see, okay, let's think about this. Last season, and you guys, like, you don't need me to tell you this, you guys overperformed in like clutch moments, right? And that's something you, you really can't bank on. You know, like the Thunder a couple of years ago, with Paul and that like little three guard line or whatever, they vastly overperformed in clutch uh, situations. And that's like part of the reason why, like they obviously the majority of the reasons because they wanted to catapult and like be terrible. But like part of the reason why just taking out Paul and like the other important guys that um, tanked them so much was because they overperformed. I think that if they would have run it back with the same squad, we would have seen them in a much different light, probably like barely fighting for a playing team. So there's that. I think that that's going to be completely different. Um, again, like you, again, I'm telling you guys stuff, stuff that you already know, but um, the, the interior rim protection, that's, eh, you know, shaky at best. I don't know. I know you guys will probably be trying now. Honestly, a lot of lineups with Washington or bridges at the five. And I know that's like a really flexible, really fun offensive lineup, but defensively, I wonder about that. Um, I heard I heard somebody saying the other day, I think he might have been locked on Hornets. They were talking about it. They were saying that for this team to to really be like the higher part of the plan, so like a seven or eight, like Book Knight would have to be one of the three best rookies in the NBA this season. Well, you do you guys agree with that or hmm. I don't know. I don't know about have to be. I think he probably like w- would be if that happened, but I don't I feel like there are other avenues to them becoming a playoff team that like, like even if James Booknight, it just has like an average rookie year. I think that there are still ways that that could happen. Perhaps I don't, James, what do you think? Yeah. I, I, I think for me, the swing thing about them having like a better year than expected is just the defense. Like you said, Matt, like the rim protection, the rebounding. I think that's the, that's the big thing. I think they're like 21st in the league last year. Um, I think if they can take a step forward there, that's where I see them. You know, if they're like a top 15 defense, then I think that with LaMelo ball on the floor, like playing starter minutes and being part of the system and having training camp, I'm, I'm expecting a pretty big year from him. So I, I wouldn't say that, that would be like a necessity for Buck Knight. I mean, even like last year, Borrego like started with LaMelo coming off the bench. He, he is someone who kind of eases his rookies in. And, and I think Buck Knight is going to be in rotation from day one, but like he's going to be behind Terry's ear, who was like, you know, him and Gordon Hay were the leaders of this team. So he's not getting more than 18 minutes per night. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if I would agree with that. Uh, but look, if he was a top three rookie, then absolutely, that would be a huge boost. You've got your, you know, sixth man caliber, sixth man of the year caliber player coming straight off your bench. 
Um, you know, giving you some of that scoring, dribble, penetration, passing that you lost in Monk and Graham kind of in one player. If he can give you that, then that would be a very positive thing. Yeah. And so, okay, so that's another guy you mentioned perfectly, Rozier. Like, I think he's a strong candidate for regression this year just because, like, he was, again, one of those guys who who played really well, like, down the stretch in games. And that's just something that's usually not sustainable over, like, you know, a career, you know, unless you're, like, one of the all-time great, like, shot creators. So that's something that's really interesting to me. But at the same time, like, you could play the card where, okay, like, what is it, 50 games in the season, you guys are the fifth seed in the East or the fourth seed in the East, and then Hayward goes down and LaMelo goes down. And that's when the ship starts sinking. So like if Hayward's healthy, he's like maybe not an all-star, but the next thing, like the closest thing to an all-star, which I still believe he is, if he could be healthy, but him playing 82 games is you know highly improbable. So, I mean, I guess like they are, the Hornets are, and you guys are lucky as fans. Like, I guess one of the teams with like um, a higher like range of possible outcomes, which is kind of cool. But at the end of the day, I think the East is just, you guys are just unlucky where the East is better than it's been in years and years and years. Like most years, like this Hornets team, if everything goes right for them, I could, I could see an argument for them being like the fourth seed in the Eastern conference, but this year is like, just it's rough. It's really, yeah. I I agree. Like I think the Hornets got a lot better this off season. I also think all the teams around them got probably even better. Like that's why even though if you look at the team last year, they finished, what was it? 10th in the end. Um, they scraped into the play-in. But second half of the year, they lost like the, half the freaking team to injuries. Like everyone, Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, Devontae Graham, Malik Monk, Cody Martin, all missed major extended time. Lamelo Ball, again. So you think, well, surely if they just stay like, you know, a little bit more healthy than that, they're going to be a good place to improve. But like you said, those other teams, the Chicago have got a lot better. Indiana were also a team really struck by injuries last year. Um, I'm curious, like, I know we've got you on to do a bit of reality check here. I'm going to, I'm going to flick, flick it back on to you for a second. If you could pick to have Lamelo Ball or Cade Cunningham on your team for the next five years, who are you picking? Oh man, I'm sorry again. <laughs> but, uh, it's Cade. It, it's you got to ride with your guy. I no, I mean, it's not just me riding with my guy. Like I, Honestly, like one of the things that really like was interesting to me when I was doing the interviews is like it was cool seeing the guys who were like without a doubt not a part of this discussion that coaches and players brought up the most or like people I interviewed brought up the most. And the guys they always talked about like that, you know, they're like they're going to be there one day are like Luka Doncic, you know, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard before the ACL tear, the interviews I did before the ACL tear, people talked about him. But like one of the people that like we that would always get brought up when I'd ask questions regarding um, like all time great decision makers, all time great IQs, all time great, you know, spatial awareness, all that stuff, you know, um, was Cade Cunningham. I remember talking to Coach Chris Carwell and he would be like because um, I asked him about we were talking about bird and, you know, the spatial awareness, and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, when I was recruiting Cunningham to come to Duke, um, He's like, you could see those same things. Like you could see the ability to read the floor in a different way. And not to say LaMelo is like, a, he's a, he's an incredible passer. Like he's for a rookie. He, um, he did immensely well this year. He made some really high level passes. You know, he, he did turn the ball over a little bit, but that's what all the great passers do is they turn the ball over a lot, but he hit some really tight windows, hit some incredibly advanced reads. But I think that Cunningham is not a notch because a notch would like insinuate that 
he's like a clear tier above him as a passer, but just a smidge better passer. But the thing about Cunningham that he has over LaMelo is he's a better shooter. So I like that. And then I think I prefer his point of attack defense over LaMelo's like more free safety style, which he's, he's actually, in my opinion, a positive defender already at this point in his career. And I think he has a chance to be even, even better defender than that. I think you're bonkers, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give me the case for give me the case for Lamelo over Kate. I'm curious. Okay, so so the case is he's just had statistically one of the best rookie seasons in the history of the league, and you've seen that over over half a season. Whereas Cade, you're judging everything off off college, right? So yeah, he could, but I, like if I was to pick now, and it's not fair, right? Because I've seen Lamelo in the NBA and I've not seen Cade yet. But if I was to pick now, I know I've got that safety and security that what Lamelo does translates. And, you know, like he was youngest player in NBA history to have a triple-double. You know, he showed good off-ball defense, loves the game, like rebounds really well. Like you said, incredible passer. The shot was better than a lot of people thought. A lot of people said that was his weakness. He shot like 37.5% from three before the injury. Um, and like on top of that, all the worries were like, oh, does he love the game? What about the big baller brand family? And if you kind of live it like like me and Chase do, you hear from his teammates, everyone loves Lamella Ball. And this is not just Hornets PR, like, you know, and we're all drinking the Kool-Aid. This is like, you know, Cody Zeller going on the watch pod and being like, I was expecting Lamella Ball to be a bit of like a big, big time Charlie. And he's like, I, I remember him telling the story really clearly. Like Lamella Ball was lying on the training beds talking to Cody Zell about saying, I wish I could delete social media. Like I, I hate it. Like, and, and I think a lot of people get the wrong impression because of the way Lamella Ball dresses and how he kind of appears in GQ magazine and everything. It's really kind of extroverted and it comes across. I think it's not always that um, it doesn't re- not really that relatable. Whereas Cade Cunningham's like, the ultimate teammate and, you know, everyone talks about going to war with him. And I think Lamelo is like very much a different style of star. Um, but I also think like to be the very best, you need to have like that rational level of confidence, which I think Cade does as well. Like, don't get me wrong. I thought Cade should have been the number one pick this year. I think it'd be great. But for me, I just think I've seen what Lamelo can do. And I already know statistically it's one of the best seasons in history. And what are the odds that Cade is then going to have a rookie season of equivalent levels? I just think the odds are pretty low for that. Uh, but I mean, this is this is great, right? Like we 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 don't know how it's going to play out. Um, and I say I I, I should you, you're not bonkers. I, I was just messing around there. Like I disagree. Uh, I absolutely can see a world where where Cade could go that level. But if you if I had to pick now, I would pick Lamelo. I think fairly comfortably. Yeah, no, I could definitely see a, a version of, of the timeline where where LaMelo turns out to be the better prospect. And regardless, I, I think they're both definitely like multiple-time All-Stars. I'm going to hold off on saying I know for sure LaMelo is going to be an All-NBA guy. But, um, I mean, because just because of how many great guards are in the league and how many are coming up around his time. So that, that one's something I'm going to hold off on for a second. But I want – okay, so I'm curious – because like it hasn't been floated as much, but like you guys have been, I guess, like in the rumor mill. Do you like the idea of a Ben Simmons Lamelo Ball pairing? I knew you were gonna ask that. I knew you were gonna ask that. Um, I, I've got thoughts, but Chase, I'll let you go first. I don't. I'm no. I don't like it at all. I think like I don't think you because Lamelo would be the guy that would be the point guard bringing the ball up every play. 
And I don't think that Ben Simmons like is going to do that on the Charlotte Hornets. Like I don't, cause he'd essentially be the center to LaMelo's point guard or the power forward or whatever you want to call it. But, and I, I like, I just can't see him settling into that role on a team. I mean, he's, he was just on a, the Philadelphia 76ers that have had championship aspirations for however, basically the last like three or four years. And he hasn't improved at anything that he is like really bad at. So, and I don't think that the Charlotte Hornets are necessarily going to motivate him to do those things. And if he's not going to do those things, he has to play center. And I just, I don't think, like I said, I don't think he's going to play like center and be like a rim protector, short role playmaker kind of guy instead of like a, like the number one, like offensive initiator. So yeah, no, I, I would be, I would be very, very sad if that happened because the player they'd have to trade is like Gordon Hayward or Terry Rozier. And I think, I think there's an argument that both of those players are like Hayward, I think is a better player than Ben Simmons right now. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I, I probably don't agree with that. Um, I also but... think LaMelo will be a better player than Ben Simmons by the end of the oh, season. I, I agree with not that. Yet, not yet, but by the end of the year. I think um, for me, if it was a, right, if the NBA was a game of 2K, I think Ben Simmons, I, I'd love Ben Simmons on the Hornets roster. Yes, the problem is yes. it's not, right? Will he buy into the role of being like an off-ball, like power forward center and just rim rolling and diving to the rim? No. Do they want his, you know, just the drama that's going to come with him after this whole ordeal that's been going through in Philly? And do they want that kind of arrogance in the room? There is obviously an air of arrogance there. And even going back to LSU, there was always questions like, does he love the game? Does he love his teammates? And those, those still appear to be pretty clear questions. So I think if you could like tell me that all of those things were great, then I, I'd, I'd actually like it because this Hornets roster doesn't really have an above average defender on it, apart from like maybe Oubre and Plumley, maybe. Like other than that, like he would instantly become a defensive stopper, you can put the best guy on the other team. He can rebound, he can move the ball, fit into the read and react system. But I just don't think he'd want to play the role that Charlotte would need him to play to get the best out of him and for it to be a good match. So I think on paper, it makes sense and I agree with it, but it's just the practicalities. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you on um, on the, the part about like the questions about like, you know, outside stuff exogenous factors, whatever, um, you know, he's so, you know, Rich Paul, I'm going to say, you know, anything about him. I'm not going to speak on him. I don't really know the guy, but like he wants his client out of Philly. I feel like in terms of like, just logistically speaking, like I would, I don't know if he doesn't want to be in Philly, I'm damn sure he doesn't want to be in Charlotte, you know, no offense, <laughs> but um, I don't That's think probably, no, you're pretty, yeah, you're probably right. But yeah. um, in terms of fit, like I've always been of the mindset, like forget like the one ball thing, if it's, you know, you're putting like smart, like high IQ basketball players with each other. And like, of course, we just said it. LaMelo Ball is that guy. I think we overestimate like how high IQ of a guy Ben Simmons is. I know it's going to like come off wrong. Like, what are you talking about? It's like a walk, triple, double. I think his he's a great passer in like good decision maker. Not like how LaMelo is great passer, great decision maker. He's so not like a going, point guard. He's a point forward. I feel like. Yeah. No. I think. Yeah. I think that that like he like when he makes passes. There's a distinction. Like when you know Lamelo sees passing windows, he can predict passing openings. And Ben's more like I'm going to create these like with my just advantage advantageous size and strength and speed. Um, I know that's like a little minute detail about like their fit together, but I don't think it would be like a you know you're putting Harden, who's this high IQ guy, 
with like, you know, Kyrie in that system and like asking them to fit together. You know what I mean? I think it's different, but um, like kind of, yeah, like what you said about him buying it. I also think that he's, he doesn't want that. And that, I mean, that's cool. I heard uh, Jackson Frank talking about this Mark Schlinder the other day on the Philly preview for premium hoops. And, you know, Jackson said, I think at this point of Ben Simmons career, he kind of wants to be like that floor raiser. Like you want to put him on like a, a team with a roster that's catered to him. And he wants to make them like a, high 40s low 50 win team and be the best player and he's cool with that and honestly like i mean a lot of human beings on earth would be cool with that deal and i don't think we should get mad at him for that i think that i was talking i was talking about it today with myself i was like um why not hey if i'm the kings you have not been in the playoffs mm-hmm. for 15 years right you guys you guys know this okay didn't you have a lot of fun last year when they signed Gordon Hayward and they sported a competitive roster and you guys got to watch yes. some good basketball, right? You sure you're not competing in a championship with this roster. Maybe a couple of years down the road when guys start to develop, you will, but you had a lot of fun last year. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun again this year. I think the Kings, if they trade for Ben Simmons, you know, trade Fox, let Fox become an all-star in Philly. Cause I think he has the ability to do that and build around Ben Simmons. I think you can, you can create within a year or two, a 45 to 50 win roster that's good enough to keep you in playoff contention and support a competitive fun roster for the next couple of years with a player who uh, I'll say depending on team context is either better than or on the same level as Gordon Hayward. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. It really depends on context, but um, yeah, I think that at this point in his career, he wants to be the number one guy on like a solid team and there's nothing wrong with that, but we just got to, we got to find that team for him, you know? Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, it, I, I, that's been a popular topic among Hornets fans this off season. So I, I don't think we've really gotten to discuss it before. So I'm glad that we got to, we got to flush this out right here, but Matt, I think we're going to, we're going to wrap it up here. We won't take your whole evening. We'll let you, let you get on with your Tuesday night. Tell the listeners where they can find quest for the best and all of your other writing podcasts and your, and your Twitter and, and anything else. Yeah, um, I think the easiest way to keep up with uh, with my life is follow me on Twitter at Mattisa15. Like I said, my name's spelled kind of weird, so it's just at M-A-T-I-S-S-15. From there, you can find like the link to the Quest for the Best, uh, the link to Rise Network, link to Hoopheads. Yeah, just check out all that stuff. You know, it means the world. Follow me, give it a listen. You know, DM me, let me know what you think. I'm always always looking for feedback, opinions on how to get better, and be on the lookout because the season finale will be the series finale will be out on October 18th. But no, I really appreciate, you know, you guys having me and I'm excited to talk some more hoops with you as the season goes on. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on, man. And for all of our listeners, James and I both remember when we got our off season survey, you, you guys asked for a little bit more historical content. The quest for the best is historical NBA content in a nutshell and an extensive amount of it. You guys got to go check that out if you want to after we finish this episode of At The Hive Live. We will be back after the second preseason game for the Charlotte Hornets in a couple of days. We will see you guys next episode.